All right, everybody, welcome back to the Rightly Dividing Podcast. I'm your host, Carlos Frazier, and my goal for this podcast, my hope and prayer is that I can teach the truth of God's Word as plainly and directly as possible. And uh, I will go ahead and say right off the get-go that this particular episode, it's going to be a little heavy. We're going to be going through a lot of scripture, and it's going to be some heavy doctrine. And I think the topic justifies that. Um, this is something that I've heard referenced throughout my life, but I have rarely heard really taught and defended from scripture. So that's what I'm going to try to do today. Now, that being said, I am going to ask for some grace from you guys and ask you to bear with me and stick with me for two reasons. One, this is probably going to end up being a pretty long episode um, just because of how much there is to cover. But two, I'm going to ask you to bear with me and show me some grace because there are really two main camps uh, of thought uh, on this topic, at least in the independent Pentecostal churches that I'm affiliated with, Trinitarian Holiness churches. Uh, there, there tend to be two main schools of thought um, on the topic of sanctification. And as we go through this study in this episode, you're going to see that I'm not really landing squarely in either of those camps. So there's a good chance that uh, rather than, you know, say that I agree with one half of the movement and the other half is mad at me or, or vice versa, there's a good chance I just make everybody mad at me with this episode. But I, I, I don't think that's going to be the case because I, I have put a lot of prayer and many hours of study into this subject. And uh, I have poured through the scriptures and I feel like uh, the stance that I'm going to take is justified from the scriptures and I'm going to I'm going to lay all that out and hopefully I can do so in a way that makes sense to you the listeners and can be digestible but I do want to talk about sanctification and you know I mentioned there are two schools of thought so you've got one school of thought that says sanctification is a second definite work of the spirit then you've got another school of thought that says, no, sanctification is a progressive work and you progress towards sanctification. And generally those will say you do progress until you are definitely sanctified, but you progress towards that. You start off not sanctified and you get slowly more and more sanctified until you're totally sanctified. The other group says, no, it's a second definite work of the spirit. You just aren't sanctified until the Holy Ghost sanctifies you and then you are sanctified. And as we go through this, like I said, you're going to find that I really don't fall into either of those camps. Now, like I said, I have done a lot of study on this and there are a lot of scriptures here to go through. But before I start just going through all the scriptures about sanctification and start to lay out a case uh, for why I believe what I believe about sanctification... I, I do want to throw out some things and, and mention some things that sanctification is not. Sanctification is not second salvation. You are not more saved because you got sanctified or because you are sanctified. That's not what sanctification is. There's, there's not a case of I, am, I got saved and now I am more saved. That's not what sanctification is. Sanctification is also not infallibility. So now this this is, at least in my experience, uh, in, in talking with different people, seems to be a very minority opinion, but there are some within the camp of second definite work 
who, and, and I'm not saying at all that it's all people who believe in second definite work. I would say it's not even most, but there are some within the second definite work camp who believe that once you are sanctified, you can no longer be tempted. You can't even be reached by temptation. Not to say that you won't fall to temptation, but you won't even be tempted. I think that is a very dangerous doctrine. It is not scriptural at all. There's not, there, none of the verses we're going to look at, uh, none of the verses in the Bible that deal with sanctification, none of them even begin to imply that being sanctified means that you cannot be tempted. It's just simply not in the Bible. But it's dangerous in that it sets you up to feel as though you can achieve by being sanctified essentially a godlike status. Because Jesus, God the Son, is the only person to have ever walked on this earth and not been enticed to sin. Yes, Jesus was tempted in that he was tried. He was given opportunities. Satan tempted him by offering him the opportunity to sin, but he was never internally enticed to sin. And Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, is the only person to have ever walked this earth and had that level of purity. And when you say that because I'm sanctified, I too have reached a place where I cannot be touched by temptation. I cannot be enticed. I don't struggle with temptation. I'm not saying that we can't get to a place where we don't fall to temptation. In fact, the Bible says that we absolutely can escape temptation. He tells us that we will not be tempted above that which we are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. So we can escape temptation. We can flee temptation. We can win over temptation. We don't have to fall to it. But to say that we get to a place where temptation never even comes to us anymore, I think is a very dangerous doctrine. Also, I have never met anyone in my entire life. I have never met anyone who has achieved that. And if that's the case, then I have never met anyone who's sanctified. And trust me, I have met people who are sanctified. So that is not what sanctification is. And sanctification also, I want to mention that it is not works-based. And this is one that we actually will deal with as we go through the scriptures, but you do not earn your sanctification. Uh, sanctification, even if you fall into the camp of progressive sanctification, we cannot fall to the false doctrine that you earn your sanctification by your works. Even if you progress in your sanctification, you do not earn your sanctification. That's not scriptural. That's not sound doctrine. Okay, so now that I've got that out of the way, let's let's take a look and see what the Bible actually says about sanctification. And I want to say this as we begin to look at the scriptures that if you just go to one verse that has the word sanctify in it, or if you just find one verse that uses the word sanctification, the Bible is full of passing references to being sanctified or sanctifying yourself or God sanctifying you or sanctification, all kinds of passing references that don't really expound on what that process looks like or what sanctification really looks like. It just takes for granted that you know what sanctification looks like or what it means to sanctify yourself or to be sanctified. So there, with all those passing references, if you just pick a verse and try to build a doctrine off that one verse, you're going to fall short. But if you look at all the verses in the Bible, especially those in the New Testament, now that we are under the new covenant, and you look at 
all those references and you look at the verses around those references to get the full context of each of them and you start to put them all together, then all of a sudden a bunch of pieces start to fall together and you start to get a much clearer picture of what God would have us to know about sanctification. So that's what I want to do. I want to look, obviously we don't have time to read every single reference in the Bible to the word sanctify or sanctification, but I want to look at all of those that offer context and take that context and put all those pieces together and see what makes sense. So in the Old Testament, the word for sanctify or sanctified or sanctifieth Every single time that word comes up in the King James in the Old Testament, it is the word kadosh in the Hebrew. Now, this occurs 110 times in the Old Testament over the course of 97 verses. And this word kadosh, it means to cleanse or to purify, or it can also mean to consecrate or to set aside for a specific purpose or for a holy purpose. So the word sanctify has a double meaning. It can mean one thing, it can mean another thing, or it can mean both of those things. So it can mean to cleanse or to purify, or it can mean to consecrate or to set aside, or it can mean to cleanse and set aside. And then if you look in the New Testament, every time you see the word sanctify or sanctified or sanctifieth, every single time it is the Greek word hagiazo, which means to purify or to consecrate. Again, it's the same as with Kadash. It either means to cleanse or purify, or it means to consecrate or set aside. And then every time you find the word sanctification, which occurs five times in the New Testament, sanctify or sanctified or sanctifieth, that shows up 26 times over the course of 23 verses. But sanctification is hagiasmos, which means purification or cleansing Or also it can mean consecration or being set aside. So the difference between sanctification and sanctify is just to sanctify is to cleanse. And sanctification is that cleansing. Sanctify is purify or sanctification is purification. But then it can also mean consecrate or consecration or to set aside or having been set aside for a specific purpose or Again, it can mean both of those things, being cleansed and set aside. Now, I mentioned that the word sanctification shows up in the New Testament five times. Uh, I'll just throw this out here. The word hagiosmos that is translated as sanctification actually shows up in the New Testament ten times. So sanctification shows up five times, but there are actually five other times that this same word is translated differently. And instead of being translated as sanctification, it translates as holiness in the King James. All right, so let's get into the word. Let's start looking to see what the Bible actually says on this topic. We're going to go first to Leviticus chapter number 20, and we're going to read verses seven and eight, which say, sanctify yourselves therefore, and be ye holy for I am the Lord, your God, and ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord, which sanctify you. So this is one of those verses that I was talking about. If you just grab one verse or one passage and you try to build, you know, answer all your questions about sanctification or decide which camp you fall into based off that one verse, you're not going to get very far. And this is one example of that. Uh, Growing up, I always 
heard references and knew of preachers and pastors in my area that believed in a second definite work of sanctification. But my pastor uh, at the time believed in a progressive work of sanctification, that you progress to the point that you were sanctified. And I, I knew that there was a debate there, but I never really heard either side offer scriptures to defend their point of view. And I would be reading through the scriptures and I would get to Leviticus 20 verses 7 and 8 as an example. And I would see, it says, sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy. Okay, so that that supports progressive sanctification because it tells us to sanctify ourselves. That's what the Bible tells us to do, to sanctify ourselves. So it can't be a second definite work. I've got to sanctify myself, which is going to be a progressive work as I sanctify myself. And, 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 and I learn better how to be holy. But then you read verse number eight, and it says, ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord, which sanctify you. And then I'm all kinds of confused because, you know, verse seven tells me to sanctify myself. And verse eight says that the Lord sanctifies me. And I, I realize that this being Leviticus, God has been handing down the law to Moses and, and he's given instruction to the children of Israel under the old covenant, telling them what to do. But I think there is a valuable lesson and an example that we can draw from here in that it directly tells us God speaking in the same breath in verses seven and eight tells us to sanctify ourselves and that he is the Lord which sanctifies us. And he tells us the reason we should sanctify ourselves and be holy is because he is the Lord our God and we shall keep his statutes and do them because he is the Lord which sanctifies us. So how about that? He is the God that sanctifies us and because he has sanctified us, we must sanctify ourselves. So if you ask the question, and, and a big part of this debate between second definite work and progressive sanctification, a big part of that debate is, well, do you sanctify yourself or does God sanctify you? And so I'm going to answer that question and say both. But don't misunderstand me and don't think that I'm saying that sometimes and for some people we sanctify ourselves, but then for other people they get a second definite work. I'm not saying it's one thing for some people and another thing for other people. I'm going to make a case that both God sanctifies us and we sanctify ourselves. Anyone who is sanctified is sanctified by God and must also sanctify themselves. That's the case that I'm going to build going forward here. In Leviticus 20 verses 7 and 8 is kind of my, not I wouldn't say my proof text, but it's my example. It's what I'm going to come back to uh, because moving on from here, I'm not going to be focused on that both aspect, but I want to establish that now so that after I build the case that the Holy Ghost does sanctify us, I want to come back to the point that we must then also sanctify ourselves. So moving on from here, I am going to start building the case that the Holy Ghost sanctifies us and we are sanctified as part of a definite work, though don't don't mistake me there. I did not say second definite works because, again, I don't fall squarely into either camp. But I am going to make a case that it is a definite work. But let's look at John 17 and verse 17. And this is Jesus praying to the Father, and he's praying for his followers. Not just the 12 disciples, but all of his followers. All that believe on him, he is praying to the Father for them. And this is what Jesus says. He says, sanctify them. Through thy truth, thy word 
is truth. So Jesus prays to the Father to sanctify us, the believers, his followers, those that believe on Christ. He prays to the Father that the Father would sanctify us, and he prays that the Father would sanctify us through his truth. And then he specifies and clarifies that God's word is truth, okay? So this here tells us that the that, that God will sanctify us through the word of God, through the truth of God. And then if we look two more verses down in verse number 19, Jesus is continuing to pray to the Father for us, and he says, and for their sakes, for our sakes, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So again, he reiterates that we, that when we are sanctified, we will be sanctified through the truth and that truth being God's word. But then let's catch what happens at the beginning of that verse. He says, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Now, let's not forget one of the definitions and, and one of the most, com- probably the, mo- the more common of the two definitions of sanctify is to cleanse or purify. But Jesus is not saying that he cleansed himself. He's not saying that he purified himself. You can't cleanse that which is already perfectly clean. You can't purify that which is already perfectly pure. He wasn't saying that he purified himself. He had nothing to purify himself of. He had nothing to cleanse himself of. So what Jesus is saying here is I consecrate myself. I set myself aside for this particular purpose. In other words, he's going to give his life. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to shed his blood. He is going to sacrifice his life for ours so that we also might be sanctified through the truth. So it's important. And this this illustrates the fact that just because the Bible says sanctified does not necessarily mean cleansed or purified. It can very much and very easily mean set aside for a holy purpose. That's what Jesus is saying about himself, that he is setting himself aside for a holy purpose so that we can be sanctified through the truth. Okay, so we see that when we are sanctified, we are sanctified through the truth. But now let's look at Acts 26 and verse 15, and we're going to read through verse 18. And this is Paul And he is telling the story of what happened to him on the Damascus Road. And he's going to tell us what Jesus said to him. So it starts off in the words of Paul, but then the majority of what we're going to read is Paul telling us what Jesus said when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Let's read that one one more time. He's talking about that he's going to send Paul to the Gentiles to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. 
So Jesus told Paul that he was sending him to the Gentiles so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith in Christ. So reading through this, it comes across as though Christ is is showing us that when we turn from darkness to light, and when we turn from the power of Satan unto God, that we receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance. When we get forgiveness of sins, we get inheritance. And that makes sense. We know that those of us that are saved, if you are born again, you are a child of God, that you are an heir and a joint heir with Christ. So yes, that makes sense that when you turn from darkness to light, you not only get forgiveness of sins, but you also get an inheritance in Christ because you become a joint heir with Christ. Makes sense. Totally get that right on board with you that those two things happen together in the same moment when you are born again, you become a child of God, you get forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. But he tells us something extra about that inheritance. Not just that it is an inheritance, but specifically it is inheritance among them which are sanctified. So in the moment that I am forgiven of my sins, I also get inheritance among them which are sanctified. Now, if I'm getting inheritance among them that are sanctified, that tells me that I am among them that are sanctified. That stands to reason. That's not just, that's not reaching. That's not trying to read between the lines. That's quite implicit in what Christ is saying here, that when we turn from darkness to light, that we receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified. And if we're getting the inheritance among them which are sanctified, it stands to reason that we are among them which are sanctified. Now, that's interesting. And uh, we, we'll deal with that a little bit later. But I did want to point that out so that when we start looking at some other scriptures, we can see that there's already been one instance where even in Jesus's own words, it looks like he's letting us know that turning from darkness to light, turning from the power of Satan unto God is when we get forgiveness of sins and become among them that are sanctified. So we'll come back to that and, and we'll revisit that, that particular point. But I also want to draw attention to the fact that Jesus said we are sanctified by faith that is in him. But now wait a minute. In the, the, the last verse we read in John 17, 19, Jesus prays that we would be sanctified through the truth. And in verse 17, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the truth of God, the word of God is what we are sanctified through. But now he has told Paul that we are sanctified by faith that is in him. And you, there, there, there are going to be some people who say that this is a contradiction, but this is not a contradiction. I want to make this very clear that this is consistent. Jesus is the word, okay? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the word. So if we are sanctified by the truth and God's word is truth and Jesus is both the word and the truth and we are sanctified through the truth and we are sanctified by faith that is in Christ, how can that be a contradiction? Because to receive the truth is to put your faith in Christ. To put your faith in Christ is to receive the truth. 
To believe the word of God is to put your faith in Christ. And to put your faith in Christ is to believe the word of God because Jesus is the word. So now we actually see here a verse that shows us what I was talking about before we got into all of this, that sanctification is not something we achieve on our own. It is not something we can earn, but it is something that is given to us by faith. It is when we put our faith in Christ that we are sanctified. We are sanctified by faith, not by our works. We are sanctified by receiving the truth, not by our works. We are sanctified by the word of God, not by our works. It is a faith thing. But now let's go on to Romans chapter 15 and verse 16. Paul says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So in Acts 26, Paul tells us that Jesus told him that we are sanctified by faith in Christ. But here, Paul is saying that he was sent to the Gentiles, that they could be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So Jesus tells Paul that we would be sanctified by faith in Christ. But now Paul tells the Romans that we are sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So now, is this a contradiction? No, I don't think it's a contradiction at all. And in fact, I think it flows very well. I find this to be extremely consistent. In fact, just like I was talking about earlier, when you start to look at all the different verses and put them together, things start to come into focus. I think this that's about to be what happens here with this particular verse when we, when we look a little bit further and a little bit deeper into this. So yes, we are sanctified by faith in Christ. We are sanctified by the truth. We are sanctified by the word, but we are sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So what what do I mean by how consistent that is and how it paints a picture or rather starts to bring the picture into focus? Well, let's look at salvation. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight tells us that by grace are ye saved through faith. Okay, so we know, we know because the Bible tells us plainly in Ephesians two and eight, that we are saved by grace through faith. However, if we look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it tells us, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So one verse says that we are saved by grace through faith. The other verse says that according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So what's this showing us here? This is not an inconsistency. This is not a contradiction. Ephesians 2 and 8 is showing us the means of our salvation, while Titus 3, 5 shows us the method of our salvation. The means of our salvation is grace through faith. It is not by works lest any man should boast, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. The means is God's grace through faith, but the method is the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, see, a lot of people think that the only thing the Holy Ghost has to do with salvation is just convicting the sinner, bringing them to an altar, making them feel bad about being lost and making them want to get saved. That's not the only thing the Holy Ghost has to do with salvation, but it is the Holy Ghost that performs salvation unto us. Jesus purchased it 
and the Holy Ghost performs it by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. What is that washing of regeneration? That is being born again. When you are born again, you become a child of God. The Holy Ghost washes you such that you aren't just washed off on the outside, but you are washed to the point of being regenerated. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You become a new creature. We dealt with this in depth in the last episode of the podcast about being born again and how we become a new creature. Old things pass away. All of that. That is the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You are renewed, but not just on your own, but the Holy Ghost renews you. The Holy Ghost washes you of regeneration, makes you a new creature. So we see the means and the method in salvation, the means being grace through faith, and the method being the Holy Ghost regenerating and renewing us. But now let's take that same application and apply it to what we've seen in the verses so far about sanctification. We've seen that we are sanctified through the word, through the truth, through faith in Christ. But now we see that we are sanctified by the Holy Ghost. The means of our sanctification is faith in Christ having received the word of God, the truth of God, putting our faith in Christ. That is the means of our sanctification. But the method of our sanctification is that the Holy Ghost cleanses and purifies us and sets us apart. So now we've kind of got an image of how we are sanctified, that it is through faith in Christ, receiving the word of God, and the Holy Ghost renewing us, cleansing us, washing us, purifying us and setting us aside for God's holy purpose, that that is how we are sanctified. But now let's start to look at when we are sanctified. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Paul writing to the Corinthians says, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Okay, so he's just he's just addressing this epistle. He's just addressing his letter to the recipients that are going to read it. So how can you get doctrine from this? Well, the way he addresses them, okay? So he says that he is writing this unto the church of God. Now, he does specify here at first that he is writing particularly to the church of God, which is at Corinth. But then later in the verse... He says, with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So particularly he's writing to the church at Corinth, but he's writing this for the benefit of everyone everywhere who will read it. But he addresses it unto the church of God. Okay, who is the church of God? The children of God, those that are saved, those that are born again, the believers in Jesus, the Christians. So if I were to say that the church of God and those which are called to be saints are the same group, you would agree with me. And if I were to say that those which are called to be saints are the same group as those that call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, you would still agree with me. Because the Bible tells us that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. So he's saying the church of God, which is people who are saved, those that are called to be saints that's people who are saved, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's people that are saved. So he's just reiterating 
by using different names for his audience. And this is something Paul does fairly often. He says, under the church of God, I'm writing to those that are called to be saints. I'm writing to those that call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's saying the same thing, but he's reiterating it, showing just who you are as the recipient of this letter, who you are as the church, who you are as those that are called to be saints, who you are as those that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing there. But there's one extra one in there that to some people, it doesn't seem like it fits. He says, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So if I were to say that those that are called to be saints are also those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, some people would push back on that and say, no, 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 because there are some people that are saved but not sanctified. But here in this verse, Paul's equating them. He's saying the church of God those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, those that are called to be saints, those that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. He's equating those four things. He throws those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus right in the middle of those four titles of the church. So between this and what we saw in Acts 26, it's starting to look like the scriptures painting a picture that sanctification and salvation are a little bit of a package deal here that one comes with the other. But let's go on. Let's let's keep looking to see what all the Bible says. Uh, let's just go a few verses down to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, where it says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Jesus is all four of those things to us. So if we have Jesus, we have wisdom. And if we have Jesus, we have righteousness. And if we have Jesus, we have redemption. And everybody said amen. But again, Paul slipped one in there that a lot of people would buck up against if I was to say that if you have Jesus, you have sanctification. Wait a minute. Sanctification comes after salvation, doesn't it? But this just told us that Jesus is made unto us sanctification and redemption and wisdom and righteousness. So my question then is if we are not sanctified when we get saved, if we are not sanctified when we get born again, if we are not sanctified, meaning cleansed, purified, and set apart, when we are washed of regeneration and renewed by the Holy Ghost, when old things pass away and all things become new, when we become a new creature, and when we are born of the Spirit, how can we have Jesus and not have what he is. If Jesus is wisdom, how can we have Jesus and not have the wisdom that he is? If Jesus is righteousness, how can we have Jesus and not have the righteousness that he is? If Jesus is redemption, how can we have Jesus and not have the redemption that he is? All those three, I don't know of anybody that would say you can't. I mean, you, if you have Jesus, you have wisdom. If you have Jesus, you have his righteousness. If you have Jesus, you have redemption. But Jesus is also made unto us sanctification. So how can we have Jesus and not have sanctification? 
Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you. And I want to call attention to the fact that that is past tense. To all the people out there that want to say that we are all saints and we are all sinners. Well, I'm sorry, but we are no longer sinners after we are saints. You are either one or the other. You are either a sinner or you are a saint. Nobody is both of those things. But Paul says, and such were some of you, speaking of all kinds of sinners, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. He puts sanctified right in the middle. Paul did not say, but ye are washed, and justified, and then sanctified. He didn't do that. He didn't even say, ye are washed, ye are justified, ye are sanctified. He didn't even put it in that order that way, listing them together. He said, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, then said, but ye are justified. He put sanctified right in the middle between washed and justified. Now, I'm sure somebody's going to accuse me of reading too much in between the lines, but it seems odd to me. It seems extremely odd to me that the Apostle Paul would list sanctified right in the middle between washed and justified without any clarification, without any kind of caveat or anything like that to say that sanctification comes later, but he puts it right there in the middle between washed and justified. If sanctification, if being sanctified didn't come part and parcel with being washed and justified, why would he word it like this? Why would he put it like that if those things did not come together? But then I also want to bring this back again because it reiterates one more time that we are washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So there again is both the means and the method. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the method being by the Spirit of our God. You are washed by the Spirit of our God. You are sanctified by the Spirit of our God. And you are justified by the Spirit of our God, and all three of those things being done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Our sanctification, while it is performed by the Holy Ghost, is purchased by the blood of Christ. I want to say that again. Our sanctification, while it is performed by the Holy Ghost, it is purchased by the blood of Christ. Just like your salvation was purchased by the blood of Christ, your sanctification is purchased through the blood of Christ. It says we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And I want to bring attention to that there, once for all. Jesus didn't die twice. He didn't shed his blood twice. He didn't go on the cross twice. He did it once. One time was enough for your salvation and your sanctification. Jesus didn't die once to save you and a second time to sanctify you. He didn't shed his blood once to save you and then again to sanctify you. He died once for everyone and he purchased through that offering of his body, purchased your salvation and your sanctification. 
Let's look at chapter 13 of Hebrews and verse number 12, where it says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. That he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Again, I want to say it one more time. Both your salvation and your sanctification are performed by the Holy Ghost, but they are absolutely 100% have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on Calvary's hill. This is why I made such a point at the beginning of this episode to say that sanctification is not being more saved. There is no case to say that you have some people that are saved and then you have other people that are more saved because they are sanctified. You cannot make that case with scripture. But what you can make a case for is that the same blood that was shed to save you will sanctify you. What you can say is that the same sacrifice that saves is the same sacrifice that sanctifies. All right. And now finally, I want to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse number 13. Where it says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Did you catch that? God hath from the beginning chosen you to what? Salvation. How? Through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. So first off, once again, we see that sanctification is of the spirit and it is connected with belief of the truth. But this is big. Paul describes salvation as through the sanctification of the spirit. So rather than sanctification being a secondary work after salvation, Paul describes it here as a primary work and instrumental to salvation. And when you pair this verse here with all the other ones that we've just gone through, you begin to get the image. And this is what I said. It brings the picture into focus. When you look at them all together, you begin to see that, wait a minute, no, sanctification, it's not an after thing. It's not a secondary thing. Sanctification is integral to salvation. Because what is, again, what is sanctification? It is to be cleansed or purified or it is to be consecrated or set apart. So if I am born again, I am cleansed. If I am born again, I am purified. I am washed in the blood of Jesus. I have been washed of regeneration. I have been renewed by the Holy Ghost. I have become part of a royal priesthood. I have become part of a peculiar people. I am set apart. I am set aside for a holy purpose. If I am born again, if I am a child of God, how can I be a child of God and not be consecrated? How can I be a child of God and not be set apart for a holy purpose? How can I be born again of the Spirit and renew renewed by the Holy Ghost and be regenerated and have all things pass away and all things become new. How can that be true of me and not be washed, cleansed, purified, sanctified, consecrated, and set apart? So some people are going to criticize me for not falling into one camp or the other and think that I'm saying that sanctification isn't something you need to worry about. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that sanctification isn't something you need to worry about. I'm saying that sanctification is far more important than we, we ever give it credit for because a lot of us treat sanctification as something that's secondary, that we get saved and eventually we'll get around to being sanctified. And I'm saying, no, no, no. Sanctification is not secondary. Sanctification 
Salvation is a primary thing. Sanctification is instrumental. It is integral to our very salvation. I am placing a greater importance on sanctification. I'm saying that God will not save you without sanctifying you. I'm saying that you cannot be saved without also being sanctified. If you are saved, you are a new creature. You are made holy. You have put on the very righteousness of God. How can you put on the very righteousness of God and not be sanctified, not be cleansed, not be washed, not be purified? We must be sanctified. We must have sanctification. But instead of going into a sermon, I do I do want to rein myself in here and remind you that I did say at the beginning that this is a both thing, that God sanctifies you. And we, we firmly established that going through the scriptures that we are sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And we, we've established that. But I also said it's both, that God sanctifies us and thus we also must sanctify ourselves. But where do we see that in the New Testament? We saw it in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. But where do we see that in the New Testament? Well, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, verse number 23. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Okay, we've established that, that, the, that God sanctifies us. So, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God sanctifies us wholly, entirely, through and through, every aspect of us. But then he prays, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how about that? God's already sanctified us, but then we must preserve that sanctification. We must preserve that blamelessness. We must preserve our spirit and soul and body as blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See now here, this, I believe, is where our part comes in, where that God has sanctified us, but now we must sanctify ourselves that we may be preserved blameless. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One, one chapter earlier from where we just were. Chapter 4 verses 3 and we'll read through verse 7. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. The will of God and our sanctification is that we should abstain from fornication. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Your sanctification is that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Wow. So our sanctification, we know that God sanctifies us. But here, our sanctification is that we should abstain from fornication, that we should know how to possess our vessel or keep our vessel in sanctification and honor and not in lust of concupiscence and that we 
don't defraud our brother in any matter, because God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So if I could paraphrase this, or or really more so summarize it, to me this reads that the will of God and my sanctification is that I should not sin. I should keep from sinning. I should keep from uncleanness, because God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. I should live right. I should treat people right. I should abstain from fornication. I should not lust. I should not defraud people. I should not go into unclean things and do unclean things or say unclean things, but I should maintain my vessel in holiness. And that is my sanctification. That is me setting myself apart. That's not God setting me apart, but that is me setting myself apart so that I remain clean after he has washed me, so that I remain pure after he has purified me, so that I remain in that renewed state and continue to walk in the spirit after I have been renewed of the Holy Ghost. My sanctification, my part to play in this, really, if you if you want to put it this way, my part to play is maintenance. God sanctifies me, but then it's my job to do the maintenance. You can buy a brand new car and it can come off the line in perfect condition, has no flaws, runs perfectly. But guess what? Just because it came to you perfect, just because the maker gave you a perfect thing that was in perfect condition, you still have to do maintenance on it. You still got to put gas in the tank or else it's not going to go very far. You still got to do the oil changes. You still got to change the oil filter. You still got to clean or change out the air filter. You got to do all kinds of things to that vehicle in order to keep it in good condition. And God sanctifies us when he saves us. He washes us. He cleanses us. He purifies us. The very God of peace sanctifies us wholly. But we've got to preserve our spirit, soul, and body blameless by doing the will of God and abstaining from fornication and lust and defrauding one another and uncleanness. Stay away from sin, but walk in holiness. And here's an interesting thing. There in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7 that we just read, that word holiness, it's hagiosmos which is often translated as sanctification. And now let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. It says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So what are these? It says, If a man therefore purge himself from these. I believe that this is talking about the profane and vain babblings which it says will increase unto more ungodliness in verse 16. And verse 22 also tells us to flee youthful lusts and to follow righteousness and faith and charity and peace. But the context of verse 21 is given in verse 22, where it tells us of vessels of honor and dishonor. I think the meaning of sanctified in this particular verse isn't sanctification as we generally discuss it. It's not talking about being washed or being cleansed, but this is talking about being given a holy purpose or a ministry. This ter- this reads to me as Paul saying that if you will purge yourself from profane and vain babbling, shun those things and, and flee youthful lusts and follow righteousness, faith and charity and peace and so on, and do all of that, 
that you will be sanctified in meat for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. In other words, you will be set apart or consecrated for a holy purpose. Meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. God will use you for greater ministry. So I believe that's the, that's the true meaning of sanctified in this particular verse. But even still, when you look at it, our part in the process, what we have to do to be sanctified, what God expects of us is as simple as keep from sin. Shun profane and vain babblings. Flee youthful lusts. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Just live right. Walk upright. Walk in the Spirit. Sanctify yourself by walking in the Spirit. Did you know the Bible tells us that if we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh? Doesn't say that the lusts of the flesh won't ever come up. Doesn't say you won't ever be tempted, but you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh if you walk in the Spirit. So what's the application of all this? How does it all fit together? How does it all apply to me? How does it apply to my circumstance? How does it apply to my walk with God and the experience that I feel like I have had in my Christian life? Well, let's put it all together. So we know that when we are saved, that we are washed, we are cleansed, we are purified, we are made new, old things pass away, all things become new. We're a new creature in Christ Jesus. We're, the, the flesh is crucified. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. All of that is true. So we are washed, cleansed, purified, consecrated, set apart. So in that sense, at salvation, we are sanctified. And, and, and we saw all the verses that indicate that we are sanctified by the Holy Ghost when we are washed and sanctified and justified by the Holy Ghost as we are born again. We saw all those verses. So if I could sum it up this way, uh, I, I mentioned second definite work and I mentioned progressive sanctification. I'll, I'll coin a new phrase. I believe in a first definite work with progressive maintenance. So I do believe that our initial sanctification is a definite work that the Holy Ghost sanctifies us. He washes us. He purifies us. We can't do that on our own. We can't take sin out of our own hearts. We can't wash the filth of this world out of our own minds. We can't purify ourselves from our own faults and failures. We can't do that, but the Holy Ghost can because he can regenerate us and he can renew us. He can truly sanctify us. He does that, but then because he is the God that sanctifies us, we must sanctify ourselves and walk in the spirit. So I'll say first definite work because I don't ever see where initial sanctification is something that happens after salvation. I see it happening at salvation. So I believe in a definite work, but I don't believe it's a second definite work. I believe in a first definite work, and I don't believe that we progress to sanctification, but I do believe we can progress in our sanctification. And I'll explain what, that, what I mean by that as we maintain that's why I'll, why I'll call it progressive maintenance, that we preserve our body, soul, and spirit blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus. We're doing maintenance to maintain ourselves in a state of sanctification, to preserve ourselves blameless. And I believe we will progress in our ability to do that well. Okay, So that's why I call it progressive maintenance. 
because a newborn Christian, a, a totally new convert, they're not going to know everything they need to know in order to, con- to possess their vessels in honor. They're not going to know everything they need to know right off the bat as soon as they get up from the altar, everything that they need to know to walk in godliness and not uncleanness. They're not going to know everything they need to know. There is going to be a maturing. There is going to be growth. There is going to be a progression in their understanding and their ability to walk in the spirit. And I have heard of rebuttals from people that believe in a second definite work who will say that what I'm describing uh, as far as maturing in the Lord and, and, and getting closer to God and knowing more and learning more and being better able to maintain your vessel in sanctification and honor, that what I'm describing as progressing in sanctification, that they'll say, well, I just don't call that sanctification. I call that spiritual maturity or maturing in the Lord. You can call it that, but you're still progressing <laughs> whether whether you call it uh, maturing or getting closer to the Lord or or whatever you want to call it, you're still progressing in your growth. You are growing as a Christian and learning more about what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, and you are getting better at maintaining your vessel in honor. So I'll call that progressive maintenance. But then somebody's going to say, "But wait a minute, brother Carlos, what about those people who who say that they were at the altar?" And they had a moment at the altar while they were praying where, where, where they got sanctified. I'm not going to discount that not one bit, not for one minute. And here's why. I believe their account that that happened. I had a man that I have great confidence in uh, tell me while I was discussing this with him. And he was, he was agreeing with my conclusions on all of this. But he told me a story that after, long after he had been saved, he was praying and if I if I recall the details correctly, he had, you know, some things that he surrendered to the Lord. Not not I'm not talking about flaws, faults and sins or anything like that. But there was uh, a, a calling or God was wanting him to do something. And, and he submitted his will to the Lord and God spoke to him and said, now you are sanctified. Now, somebody's going to say, well, that contradicts what you've been teaching as you go through all these verses. I don't think it does. I think that was part of his progressive maintenance. I think even though the overall we progress over time, there will absolutely be particular times and particular moments where there is a great leap in that progress, especially in this context where God wants us to submit to him, where God wants us to surrender to him so that he can then set us apart for a holy purpose so that we can be a vessel of honor so that he can give us a greater ministry, so that he can use us to a greater degree in the church, whatever that is. I do believe that there is an element of consecration that comes down to our willingness to follow the Spirit of God and do what God calls us to do. So absolutely, when somebody goes to the altar or just gets down on their knees as God deals with them and they begin to surrender things to God and and they, they begin to surrender and lay down their own will to let God have their will in their life, whether it be that they're accepting the call to preach or whether they're just accepting the, what God wants them to do uh, as far as making some decision in their home, their family, 
family or, or God wants them to lay something aside or God wants them to pick up a, a particular ministry or whatever it is that God wants for their life. And they begin to surrender their will to God's will and they pray that through and they get fully submitted unto God and they want to say that I got sanctified that night. I will say absolutely praise God you did. And I think that fits perfectly with Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, where it says, sanctify yourselves. I am the God that sanctifies you. So yes, God sanctifies us. And I believe he absolutely sanctifies everybody who gets saved. When they get saved, they've been sanctified by the Holy Ghost. But I will also say that I 100% believe that there will be times in their Christian walk when they are sanctified, consecrated by God because they submitted unto God. And I believe that they will progress in their ability to maintain sanctification and referring to their the, the cleanness, the cleanliness, the purification, sanctification as they learn how to walk in the spirit. I think both of those things are true. Or rather, I think all three of those things are true, that God sanctifies us and we progress in our ability to maintain our purification and we will have times of surrender unto God where we are sanctified and consecrated for a holy purpose. And if you want to take what I'm calling progressive maintenance and call that progressive sanctification, that's fine. If you want to take the examples I've given of, of people praying and surrendering things to the Lord and surrendering their will to God long after they've been saved and, you know, long after they've been a child of God, but there's something God wants them to surrender or some ministry God wants them to do and they surrender their will to God. And you want to call that a, a second definite work. I'll call that a second definite work. If you want to say the Lord definitely met them there and dealt with them and they surrendered. And so God sanctified them at that point where they surrendered to God and consecrated them to the work that he was calling them to do. And that was a definite work of the spirit. I'll co-sign that right now. And I'll say that, yes, that was secondary to their salvation. But I think that does not take away from the fact that they were also sanctified when they were saved. So I think we get sanctified when we are saved, and then we progressively get better at maintaining and preserving our blamelessness as we learn to walk in the spirit. And we are also going to have times in our lives where God deals with us and we have to surrender our will to his so that he can consecrate us to his work. Okay. Again, I apologize because I know this was a very long episode and I, I covered a whole lot of information, and I hope it wasn't convoluted. I hope I made sense in the way I presented the information, and uh, hopefully this was helpful to you, and I hope it was a blessing, and I hope that you have enjoyed listening to this as much as I have enjoyed studying for it and putting this together and uh, recording this episode. But regardless of whether or not you liked this episode, there'll be another one in two weeks' time. Again, I'm doing every other Tuesday, or at least that's what I'm shooting for uh, for this year. So be looking forward to that two weeks from today or from the, the day that this episode comes out. And I will see you all. Well, I won't see you, but you will hear me next time. <laughs>